the Never Let the World Speak show, episode 8. This is 70 to a Nation, part 3. This will be the final episode of this series. It's been really fun studying this. And the major point that I see in this part of the story is that God prepared in advance. Joseph now has just been brought to, just brought his family of 70 to Egypt and set them up in the land of Ramesses, the Hebrew, which the Hebrews called the land of Goshen. Now he's going to execute his plan for the famine that he had pitched to Pharaoh in Genesis 41. So we're going to pick it up in Genesis 47, verses 13 to 26. Verse 13, Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they, which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. I'm sure Pharaoh was very happy about that. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Now that's a major point here in understanding how bad this was. The money failed. Like literally the government were the only ones that had any money. None of the citizens had any money. And some translations say that the money was gone. But that's the same thing. If the citizenry doesn't have any money and only the government has money, that, that's a failed currency. So point number one, God prepared Joseph to dominate when everything else had failed. Because Joseph knew what was going to happen and had time to prepare in advance for it, he was able to set up uh, you know, himself and Pharaoh and Egypt to not only survive, but to come out of this thing owning everything. Uh, verse 16, then Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses, the flocks, the cattle and the herds and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock this year. Now this sounds like Joseph is acting like a vulture, but I don't think that's the case. If you think about it, I'd, I think that he probably would have had big problems with Pharaoh had he just given given the grain and and bread and everything to people for nothing. And so I think that, I, I just don't think it would have been allowed. So I think that this was his way of finding a way to to be able to give the people food so that they wouldn't die. So he was either he was either being shrewd and heartless or he was finding a way to save their lives, one or the other. Verse 18, when that, when that year had ended, they came to him in the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has all our herds and our livestock. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, all the land of Egypt. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Now, that shows you how severe that was because in every culture, there's rich and poor. There's people who have a lot. There's people who don't have a lot. So there's, there would have been people that failed very quickly during the famine. And there would have been people who 
who had the ability to withstand it, you know, for a little while. But if the land's really not producing anything, or and, and your cattle and your livestock are dying because they don't have anything to eat, and you just, you're running out of food, I mean, even the richest citizens that were farmers anyway, even the, even the, even the ones that owned the most land and had the most, you know, so-called security when this went down would have succumbed to it eventually. So Joseph bought all the land. This is verse 20. Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh for every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's and as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other, only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations, which Pharaoh, had, which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. That's interesting, because only the people that were already dependent on the government didn't have to sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have brought you, bought you in your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you. And you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your household, and as food for your little ones. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where the devil got the idea for the Great Reset. Now, that's just my opinion, but I think it's very likely true. Satan is a created being. He's not, he's not um, you know, all-knowing. He's not a genius. And I think many times what he does is he distorts he distorts God's ways. He distorts the scriptures to suit his own. Like he basically says, oh, God says that this should be done this way. Well, I'm going to do the opposite of that or whatever. Or he finds ways that he can manipulate what is in the Bible to, to make it bad, basically. If God's a provider, he'll, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If God comes to bring, if Jesus came to bring life and life more abundantly, the devil will steal, kill, and destroy, you know? So I, I think that, I, I really actually think that's the case. But anyway, point two, God prepared Joseph for this so he could save lives. Joseph wasn't responsible for the famine. See, that's the difference. With the Great Reset and the, the, the one world government and, and the, one, the new world order that these people want to create, they're all, they're all inspired by the Antichrist spirit to do that. But they're going to create the conditions for what they want. Just like, I mean, look what we've just been through for the last few years. And it's been basically proven that that was leaked out of a lab, whether intentional or not, you know, Nobody seems to have any proof, but I mean, a lot of people think that it was intentional and it was intentional so that it could be, it could set the stage for um, the Great Reset. So he wasn't responsible for the famine, but knowing about it in advance put him in a position to not only save the people, but to get ownership of pretty much the entire country for Pharaoh. So I'm sure Pharaoh, you know, really was quite impressed with Joseph. Because Joseph was excellent in everything that he did. So what do we see happening in our world right now? Insane inflation, in an organization headed by a guy who literally wrote the book on a plan for governments and megacorp to own everything. I mean, how would you possibly achieve that unless things got so bad that people would willingly turn over everything? 
if you think about it, people that there's lots of people, I'm not one of them, but there's lots of people that own their houses free and clear. Why would they turn that over to the government? But the government's plan is, the Great Reset plan is, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it. Well, it's probably a fairly simple thing. The majority of people will get so strapped in debt that they will willingly turn over their house that they can't afford to live in anymore anyway in exchange for total debt forgiveness, and then they'll be able to stay in their house and rent it from the government or from Megacorp, whatever that corporation becomes, you know, triple six incorporated or whatever. Uh, And then those people that do own, you know, their house is free and clear and do have money and stuff like that, they will just, they'll just make it so expensive that it just doesn't even make any sense anymore. There'll probably be things like uh, uh, property ownership taxes that will cost you 20% or 10% of the appraised value of your property every year or something like, something like that. It's, it, you know, if you look at what they've done with other things um, in the last couple of years related to COVID, the when you get a significant enough population uh, percentage of the population to do something then you can just force the rest of them you know that's the, that's basically the game plan in my opinion so uh verse 25 so they said the, this is the uh this is the people that just turned over all their land to the government so they said you have saved our lives let us find favor in the sight of my lord we will be pharaoh's servants you'll own nothing and you'll be happy Verse 26, and Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which he did not, which did not become Pharaoh's. The Bible says he collected one-fifth of all the produce of the land for seven years. Then the land went into famine. Well, who do you think grew that? The same people. And the people... So the people had to spend all their money now when the land went into famine. They spent all their money, their livestock, their land to buy food from the government that they grew. Now now that they're tenant farmers, they're renters, they continue to give 20% of the crop every year and they're happy to be alive. Well, if you think about it, there would have been a lot of people who did starve during this time. They probably all knew people who, who had people in their family or whatever that starved or died from malnutrition or whatever. So, you know, they were in an impossible situation. But, you know, call me cynical, but the Antichrist spirit is trying to do this very same thing in modern times. You'll rent everything. You won't grow your own food. You'll rely on the government for everything, and in so doing, you'll be totally under their control. I, you know, I I see too many similarities here to ignore. This also fits like a glove with Bible prophecy about the one world government. One world government, one world currency, mark of the beast, all that stuff in Revelation. Um, it's all, it's all happening. It's it's I mean it's it's all happening in front of our eyes right now, and you can see that the uh, the infrastructure is all being put in place. Things like vaccine passports, and now that they have the chip technology, people are putting chips into their hands in parts of the world that store their health card information or so forth. It'll it'll be banking information before long, and uh, then there'll be a, a digital currency, which which will make it eventually once the uh, once the antichrist is is been revealed and is and is in charge, it, you won't be able to buy or sell without that mark. But this stuff can't be put into place overnight. I mean, you can't, you're going to have, uh, the Antichrist is going to be revealed, but not until 
not until the one who's restraining him, holding him back, is is moved out of the way. And and I believe that's the church, and that's that's referencing the rapture of the church. So the church is the one. You think about it: the prayers of the saints all across the world right now. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Jesus said, I give you authority over all the works of the devil. There's pe- there's millions and millions of Christians praying all over the world against this kind of stuff right now. So they're only going to be able to go so far with it. But um, if the rapture of the church occurred right now, you know, they wouldn't have a one-world currency and a one-world government tomorrow morning. I mean, it takes it takes years to to get that infrastructure, the technology in place that's going to be required for things like the mark of the beast, and they've been working on it for a long time, and they, and they've made great progress with it. They, I mean, it's it's here. Like the the mark of the beast could be implemented, technology wise, could be implemented at any time right now. So, all of this preparation work is happening for that day when the antichrist will be revealed, but. Uh, he can't be revealed until the church is gone because the church is the restrainer. So I, I don't believe that we're going to have to deal with the mark of the beast because that's not going to happen until the Antichrist is in power. And, um, but we're, what we're dealing with, all of the um, basically generation one of that right now. So again, like, they, like they've done with other things like, like vaccine passports and stuff like that. They don't need to force anybody to do it until they get the majority of the population to willingly do it. So they'll make it cool and they'll make it convenient and so on. And then they'll, they'll just come a point where you either do it or you won't be able to buy or sell. So anyway, that's what I see. That's what I see that has happened here in the story of Joseph. All of that stuff has happened basically. Like you got to the point where you had no choice but to do to do whatever was required by the government to stay alive. These people would have literally died. So what are they supposed to do? They turn over everything and they say, okay, well, we'll be your servants. We'll work the land that we used to own for you, you know, in exchange for you keeping us alive. And so that's what I think the devil's doing with the Great Reset. So let's pick it up in Genesis 47, 27 to 28. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Remember, 70 is where they started. Grew and multiplied exceedingly, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. After 17 years in the land, Joseph's father, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, died. And he made Joseph promise to bury him in his tomb in the land of Canaan, where Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob's wife, wife uh, Leah, were buried. So Genesis forty nine thirty three, When Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So he's He's about to die. He knows he's about to die. And he's, now he's going to give instruction to his son. Okay, this is what you guys are going to do when I die because I'm about to die. And then when he had finished giving all these instructions, he said, okay, I'm ready to die. And he, 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 he pulled his feet up into his bed and died. So he died when he was ready. I, I respect that. Joseph told his people uh, to embalm Israel because they had to make a journey to Canaan. To, to, to honor his father and do what his father told him to do, they had to make a journey to Canaan. So Genesis 50, verse 3, 40 days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. 
and the Egyptians mourned for him seven, 70 days. 70 days they mourned for him. Now, I wondered, uh, he, he had to be embalmed. Okay, that makes sense because they have to take him to Canaan. But how far is it from Goshen to Canaan? And so I did a little little research on that. And uh, the area of Israel that Canaan that they lived in was he, was very close to he, Hebron. So the land of Goshen is right in the area of uh, what is modern-day Zagazig, Egypt. Zagazig, Z-A-G-A-Z-I-G, Egypt. So from Zagazig, Egypt, to Hebron, Israel, is 405 kilometers. So that's a pretty significant journey when you don't have... I mean, an electric car wouldn't get there. When you don't have... When you don't have transportation, that's pretty, that's pretty significant. Genesis 50, verses 7 to 9. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and get this, with him went all of the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. All their, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. 405 kilometers. And all the dignitaries of, of Egypt went, and they mourned for him for 70 days. So Joseph had a lot of pull with, with Pharaoh and his family, and he was highly honored in Egypt, which is a pretty big deal for somebody that came to Egypt as a foreign slave. So he fulfills his vow to his father. And this was, a, again, a big, a big undertaking and a lot of time. He fulfills his vow to his father, and then he returns to Egypt to get back to work. Now, about this time, his brothers start to get nervous again. Genesis 50, verses 15 to 18. See, they're nervous because dad is dead now. And they think now that um, Joseph is going to exact some revenge on them. So verse 15, when Joseph's brother brothers saw that their father was dead. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph and said, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. So there, there, there's nothing in the Bible that says that Jacob said this to his sons to tell Joseph that, and I don't think they did. He, they lied to him again, and they're inventing stories to try and benefit themselves, to try and save their own skin. Joseph had already forgiven them. When the standard, by the standard of the day, he would have been perfectly justified in executing them when they first came when they first came and, and bowed down before him seeking food. And he could have done that without his father ever knowing about it because his father wasn't there. His father didn't know Joseph was alive. And he could have said, okay, I'm going to show you guys. Remember me? And, and, and just had him taken out right there. And he would have had every right. Nobody would have questioned it. Or he could have just let them starve to death during famine. He could have just said, get out of here. 
I'm not giving you anything. And I hope you die. So Joseph says to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So when you going back to, you know, it sounding like Joseph was acting shrewdly and heartless and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I don't believe he was. I believe this was his heart. He said, hey, what you did, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good or God used it for good to save many lives because God, God prepared in advance. Point number three, God will turn evil around for the good of his people. So when somebody does something against you, God will God can use that to turn it around for good for you and, and basically have you laugh in the face of your enemies. Amazing how they hated him so much when he was young. And then they said to him, you, like, we will never, what, are we going to serve you one day, you know, you little punk? And all that, and now they're they're begging they're begging for their lives and and bowing down as as grown men to their younger brother. How many people would have died if Joseph had never been brought to Egypt? It would have been hundreds of thousands, more likely millions of people would have died. One word from God saved millions of lives. That's no joke. So here's an interesting timeline. I kind of went through all of the different years and that are mentioned here so that you can piece together how many years this all took and uh, Joseph's age. Because it starts with Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. And then the next thing is that he's 30 years old when he interpreted the dreams for Pharaoh and became second in command. So 13 years in prison. He goes from the prison to the palace in one day. He's 30 years old. And then I'm, I'm assuming here that the seven years of plenty started the following year after, the, after he interpreted the dreams. So now he's 31. So seven years of plenty, he's 38. Two years into the famine, the house of Israel came to settle on the land of Goshen to live under Joseph when he was 40. Now Israel lived in the land of Goshen for 17 years before he died. So now Israel, or Joseph, sorry, is, is 57. So now verse 22. So Joseph, this is uh, Genesis 50, verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. So those are his kids. And so it's saying how, how many generations of his kids' children he, he saw. So really, so now Joseph was 57, and then the next thing is Joseph's 110, and he died. So really, the Bible only records half his life. But it was a life that God used to preserve the lineage of the Savior of the world who would come through the tribe of Judah, who they never would have survived if they hadn't come to Egypt and been set up in the land of Goshen by their youngest brother, or their younger brother, I guess Benjamin was the youngest. They would have all starved to death and died like so many other people did. Or they would have, or best case, they would have been tenant farmers. You know, they would have given every, they would have lost everything and just become workers for Pharaoh to stay alive. So basically slaves. 
Exodus, so the next thing is Exodus. We go to Exodus 1, verses 5 to 11. Now Joseph has died. So all those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. So all, all that generation has died. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. So earlier it said that they, that they multiplied greatly, but now the land is filled with them. So here's a key thing that happened. Verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt. So there was a regime, a regime change. Pharaoh, who loved Joseph and honored Joseph and his family and recognized that the blessing of God. Remember, Pharaoh said of, about Joseph, who, who, can, who can we find who, who's the spirit of God is within? Who has the spirit of God in him, like Joseph? Now there's a new, there's a new Pharaoh, and uh, he didn't know Joseph. So he comes in and he says, look at all these people. Who are these guys? They're not even Egyptians. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. See, he, he looked at them as a threat. He looked at them as a threat and he, was, and he probably hated them because they were successful, just like what happened to Joseph in the very beginning. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. You see, the people that are in the ruling, ruling class, so to speak, in quotations, the elite people, always want to keep the rest of the people below, at or below a certain level so that they're not threatened. They need, they needed the Israelites, because they were, there were millions of them now by this point. So they needed them for their economy, their, their land, uh, their, their livelihood, their security in the future. They actually needed them. Because if they didn't need them, why didn't you just kill them all? That's, that's what they did in that time. You, if you wanted to, if you wanted to uh, expand your territory, you went into somebody else's territory and you killed everybody. Or you killed all the men and you took the women and children for yourselves, for slaves. So he could have just killed them all and been done with it, but he needed them. He, wanted the, he still wanted them to be there. He just wanted them to, be, them to be under them. Verse 11 again, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And this is where the persecution of the children of Israel begins. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. If you like the show, please share and follow so you get future episodes as soon as they come out. Until next time, walk humbly before your God and never let the world speak.